This is the Saxo Market Call. Daily insights on what is moving the financial markets. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It's Tuesday, 8th of November, 2022. Markets uh, kind of in sideways motion. A little bit of a, a rally again yesterday, but that has petered out a bit overnight. More COVID cases in China, this uh, wait and fervent hope really for a change to that COVID policy, really something that could definitely change the ballgame for global liquidity, for demand, for commodities, for everything. But it's a bit like waiting for Godot. If, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen and you're just stuck uh, just waiting. So uh, I think it's uh, maybe good to have optionality around outcomes around that. It would be very bad for the dollar, one would think. Um, it would be very good for certain commodities, as we, as we discussed yesterday. I'm sure I'll update that uh, thought in today's podcast. But for now, we just have to look at the menu of options that we know are coming up. And that includes today's uh, U.S. midterms and the, the big one this week, which is the Thursday CPI. So, um, yeah, we're sort of neither here nor there, technically stuck in the mid-range here. I think one of the interesting things you pulled out and uh, flagged this morning, though, Peter, was this Tesla stock going to new lows here and below 200. I mean, some of that, is, of course, is a specific story, but it certainly is a, a bellwether speculative stock uh, in uh, in the uh, equity space. It is. It is. And um, uh, you, you're taking me uh, way down the slide deck here, John, uh, talking <laughs> about Tesla, because uh, this is a very unusual uh, uh, sequence. But uh, slide nine, yeah, it's 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 correct. We have, we have Tesla here. So printing uh, close just above the 197 price level so we have to go all the way back to june 2021 to see to see such thing and as you can see on the uh on the on the price chart we we getting into some very very uh, i think critical uh support area here for for tesla shares and it has been one of the the stocks that really hold hold it together on the recent weakness and um, the speculation is that elon musk is, is losing his focus with the acquisition of twitter and spending all his time tweeting now and trying to save this company that apparently is losing according to him uh, himself losing four to five million uh, dollars per day so the the worry here is that he's, he's losing his focus and that he will be he will be forced to sell more tesla shares to fund twitter operation but right now i just looked up the uh, the 2027 bond from twitter Trading just uh, above par, a significant jump there since uh, since Elon Musk uh, acquired the company. Um, of course, he can he can make whole all these bonds now. I think that's the the logic. So regardless of the operations, he can always just sell Tesla shares and then redeem uh, the bonds or make them due. So um, that's the that's the case. And I think John, coming back to the equities uh, again from a little bit broader perspective, I think it's worth pointing out the slide three here. You you you. Uh, you pull the attention towards this one. This is the uh, the weekly U.S. investor survey that are you know surveying you know the investors, the retail investor. Are you bullish? Are you bearish on the market over the next six months? If you take the the difference between the two, you get a sort of a net sentiment score, and and that one is approaching very fast the zero level. So almost more people being bullish than bearish. This is the net most bullish sentiment we have had since Mar since March, and it's a very very uh, sharp acceleration there from the recent lows. I, I don't know what you're reading into it, John. I think, it, and I personally, I think the equity market is stronger than what the fundamentals right now are are projecting. So I think that reinforces this this narrative that a lot of investors they're still buying the dip. They are positive on equities. Yeah, I mean, and you know. These big shifts uh, usually coincide with what the market is doing. So yeah. in a way, it's just reflecting what, where the market is. But if, of course, you notice that the early 2021 highs there in sentiment were around the highs in those the most speculative stocks, whereas the market, the broader market didn't peak out and start rolling over until everyone was uh, 
uh, in a different place and not as bullish. But so, yes, you can break these apart statistically and, and realize that it doesn't necessarily mean anything. I just think it's kind of remarkable. And I just the only reason I flagged the uh, whole the index in the first place was it just felt like everywhere I'm reading uh, all the headlines are talking about, you know, the great opportunities there are and getting long uh, equities here. And that brings me to the next slide, because I think it's a really interesting question. Uh, hopefully it's an interesting question. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it's an interesting question in my mind, at least. And that is uh, looking at uh, bond and equity market volatility. So we've seen uh, you can see on slide four, the, the move index is in blue. That is a Bank of America measure of uh, implied volatility in the options markets at uh, many points along the U.S. yield curve. You know, remarkable multi-year highs it reached uh, in September and October. The whole transition to Fed uh, hawkishness, as you can see, is, has driven this uh, development since, uh, yeah, really since the end of last year. And there's rough correlation uh, and often at times, and that makes sense because we've seen a very tight equity and bond market correlation. So we're seeing the the, um, the VIX rolling over and posting pretty remarkable lows. We're back to the levels we were over the summer and directionally it's been following this move index. So is this a bullish equity sign or is this uh, just at least the bond market volatility is being taken away to a degree from feeding equity market volatility? And more interesting question I think would be, what is the better, what is the stronger asset market from here? Where would you wanna park your funds for safety? How much more downside is there, in other words, in bonds would be my question. And I think that could be the more interesting one. And uh, I think bonds could, uh, treasuries could actually serve as a safe haven at some point here. You're getting a yield after all now, uh, well north of 4% for a two-year, and approaching 5% for a two-year, in fact, and well north of 4% for, let's say, a five-year, if you don't want to go further out the curve. So if this correlation changes, I think it would be very interesting to see uh, uh, you know, see how, what that would uh, look like. Could equity markets start to fret? The economic cycle, earnings, recession, and recession, recession, and could that serve as a safe haven uh, for treasuries? It breaks the correlation and changes the whole market regime here, a uh, changing of the cycles. I think that would be the most interesting scenario. So let's see if that scenario, let's see if that uh, plays out. Um, but uh, certainly one thing we're, we're seeing, uh, I'll skip the FX for now, gets you, Ola, on, on energy. I mean, just uh, looks like we're heading towards a record heat or warmth here, mildness weather-wise. Uh, in Denmark for the month of November, if things keep up the pace they're at, so it's it's really changed the ball game here for uh, for gas prices. It has done at least in the short term. And uh, I'm on slide six here. I'm just showing the uh, the spot the front month contract, which is December. If you look at the day to day gas price, it's uh, it's probably half uh, the, the 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 level we're seeing on, on this chart here on slide six. So. Gas prices are relatively cheap right now because we are we are we're almost drowning in gas and uh, you just need to take a look at the on the right hand side that's the the weekly update from from the German uh, German authorities just showing how gas uh, consumption has been heading in the completely opposite direction of what they normally do, do this time of year um, as of uh, the week ending October thirtieth. The uh, demand in Germany, both from uh, household and from industry, trailed last year by fifty nine percent. We obviously need to work out how much of that is uh, demand destruction and how much of that is due to the, due to the warm climate, or warm weather we have right now. So, so we're not out of the woods yet. But um, again, every every day that we spend uh, at such massive amount less uh, gas obviously makes the uh, the winter easy to get through. So, um, for now, we're stuck in a in a rough, as you can see here, between 100 and 150 uh, range. As we approach the expiry of the December contract, it may come further down, and then we will roll into the January, and then we'll have another another pop higher in prices. Yeah, and you, your next slide there is on gold, and it looks to my mind so much like so many other 
uh, assets here. I think a lot of this is around liquidity, around around. Um, uh, it looks to me like copper charge to a degree. So it's just it feels like so many uh, assets are correlated here on hopes for China and for a change of the narrative here. Yeah, indeed, uh, it's a it's a spot gold chart where we we see we we we. Uh... We have this uh, triple low now in the 1615 area, and we uh, we found the resistance uh, after the uh, the big jump last week. We're now finding the resistance in, in that low 1680 area where we're being rejected as we speak. Um, the correlation, I think, it co- correlates back to the dollar. Um, just to take a look at the uh, the right hand chart, chart here on slide seven. I'm um, just put in the broad uh, Bloomberg dollar index, and uh, you can see where it's been. We've, we've seen decent correlation there for the past six months. So I think right now uh, the dollar probably more than yields. Uh, remains the the key focus. Uh, also, we have to remember that the, the 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 pop in gold last week was really driven by by uh, copper and silver. These two are both taking a breather now, as the uh, the the excitement about a reopening in China has uh, has been dimmed a bit with cases there running at the highest. Uh, the COVID case running at the highest since April. Yeah, and just to underline the point, if you roll back to the FX slide, slide five, the euro dollar chart, somewhat similar to that gold chart, uh, really just the uh, you know. Back and forth over this parity area has been the uh, tactical situation here. Uh, once again, we're waiting for uh, either some big spark from, uh, of course, China opening up. That is the most dollar bearish scenario immediately. I think the Fed pivot is is something everyone's talking about. And everybody's waiting for. I don't think I think the Fed part of this is going to become less of a driver. It seems to be the case after the big reaction to the FOMC meeting, very hawkish Powell press conference. It's going to take a heck of a lot of heavy lifting for data to impress. Um, uh, for for the Fed, I think the Fed expectations to shift notably. So otherwise, you'll have to get a new source to drive the dollar uh, to the upside, and that source would have to be something like weaker liquidity, poor growth, uh, market volatility, uh, geopolitics, etc. Uh, rather, I think than some new massive spike of uh, uh, anticipation of, of further Fed hawkishness. So. Yeah, and then on the relative strength, you can see that some of the residual move of the uh, big spike we saw in copper and other metals prices still in that that silver price, uh, that reading at 4.4 on the trending indicator. And the Kiwi sticking out, uh, continuing to stick out on the strong side. I'm scratching my head pretty soon at the uh, scale of that relative strength, but uh, we'll have a look. There was a strong inflation expectation survey uh, out uh, from New Zealand suggesting that the RBNZ might hike by 50 basis points. Uh, once again, but uh, why don't you uh, round out the uh, commodity space so with a couple other uh, charts you have here? Yeah, just uh, highlighting uh, two two soft commodities that's really been out of favor uh, in recent recent weeks. Uh, we're seeing quite a sharp correction in the uh, price of coffee and also in cocoa. Uh, coffee to the extent that the uh, the net short that we or the net long uh, that we've seen in the market uh, for for quite a while has now turned into uh, turned into a net short last week. So basically, bulls have completely capitulated. And uh, we, we're now settling in around that 50% retracement level of the, the whole run up from 2020 to uh, to uh, earlier this year. The uh, the outlook for coffee is, is a bit mixed. Obviously, the global demo- economic outlook uh, is, is is weak, and that's uh, pointing to lower demand. At the same time, there are some frost scares in Brazil. But at least for now, if it's uh, this is fund-driven, then the funds need an excuse to buy it again. And right now, they're not getting it at these kind of levels. We need to see quite a bounce for that to, to happen. And then another one which was really getting extremely stretched to the downside was is cocoa. 
And uh, the results uh, just has been seen now for the past couple of weeks. Even though during this rally, we've seen that the, the net short continues to extend. You can see that in the small insert there on slide eight, the blue line, where the the coffee net short is pretty close to the uh, the, the, the highest we've seen since 2019. Um, what we're starting to see come in now and start to play out is the cost of fertilizer, especially in Ghana, where they are where basically they're forecasting a lower crop due to lower use of, of fertilizer because of the punitively high prices for for fertilizer at the same time so weather developments also adding some support but but the initial move we're seeing here most certainly driven by by funds just being getting wrong sided on that trade as well all right so uh peter i uh i pulled you out of sequence there but you got a couple a couple other stocks you have your eye on here as we uh as we still see you know earnings season sort of rolling on but not uh the big names reporting no it's not a steamroll any, any longer it's um it's so slowing down it but we have we have earnings from uh, from still from companies that are interesting to watch. I mean, Nintendo, out of Japan, um, an important gaming console uh, manufacturer and, and gaming developer, is lifting its uh, net income uh, projection for the fiscal year. They just entered their fiscal uh, second quarter. They they don't follow the uh, the calendar year. So 400 billion Japanese yen from 340 previously. Uh, they're still seeing very strong demand for the Switch console. They want to increase production ahead of the holiday season. They see very little impact from uh, from the inflation. Uh, chip shortages is still an issue, but it's it's easing according to Nintendo. So that's uh, I, th- I think good news. Pandora, which is one of the world, I think it's the, it is the largest jeweler in terms of volume sold. Uh, I don't think it's on revenue yet. I think that's still Tiffany's. Um, but their shares are uh, their shares are up eight percent, stronger than estimated. Their net income in Q three. They have very strong demand going into the holiday season, but they're also saying that they do expect uh, peak revenue uh, that to soon set in for the company. Um, so, and that makes sense given the cost of living crisis. Maybe you'll you you will reduce your recurring um, jeweler purchases from from Pandora. Um, and if we if we move ahead, slide ten. So we were just on slide nine, by the way, in today's slide deck. If we move to to slide ten. Walt Disney obviously being the earnings focus in the U.S. session. I've put in a, uh, the quarterly financial figures here on the small insert to the right. And uh, you can see the uh, analyst expectations for revenue is uh, 15% revenue growth uh, year on year, but a slowdown from the previous quarter. It's it's sometimes a little bit difficult because the Q3 for Disney is over the uh, over the um, the summer holiday period where they have more revenue coming through their theme parks, etc. So don't do too much at the quarter quarter, but the 15% year a year growth rate is quite solid uh, but as you can see as well on the on the growth margin it's uh, it's predicted to be 32.5% which is the lowest in the Q1 of 2021 so Walt Disney is also facing these increased uh, margin pressures so <clears throat> very curious to see what uh, Walt Disney is saying also because they have such a broad exposure to you know outdoor physical uh, traffic but also you know streaming of their content their sports etc it's it's a very very big company, and then yeah, we will definitely be watching Walt Disney and talk about it tomorrow. All right, look forward to that. And uh, as we look forward to the macro calendar today, just a couple of points there. Uh, Bank of England uh, chief economist, I was speaking a couple of times today. The latest uh, weekly supply figures uh, for crude oil and products of uh, the API this evening. It's midterm elections are very interesting, and I've kind of previewed this already. The, again, the expectations are for the Republicans to take the House back, and the Senate is uh, supposedly a toss up. Uh, and some argue that, well, often you see that, uh, you know, these these uh, if you've gotten the polling a bit wrong, that all those states that were considered toss ups actually all go one way or the other. Uh, the election calendar is very favorable to Democrats just in terms of the number of elections uh, that are for incumbents versus uh, 
uh, non-incumbents, but um, uh, it, it's still considered a toss-up. So, uh, but what that means is, with the number of toss-ups there are, it could mean that we wake up with a a, a solid uh, Republican majority, also in the Senate, or the Democrats retain their uh, majority and maybe even add a seat. So, those are the range of outcomes. Uh, I think again, there's a huge uh, a bit of uncertainty around these um, elections. I suspect that the polling industry has been maybe overlearned a lesson from the prior few election cycles since the 2016 election cycle burned them so badly because new cohorts of voters showed up to vote that hadn't uh, uh, voted before. They've probably been uh, busy correcting their models and may have overcorrected them, or they may not. They may be, be spot on with these expectations. I don't know. I just have a, a bad feeling about trusting uh, any of the polls because of uh, how badly I've seen my own uh, thoughts uh, and, and beliefs of what was going on rejected by the actual outcome. So just just keep in mind, there's there's some uncertainty around this. And also another angle on this, besides whether the Republicans take back both houses uh, or none of the houses, uh, supposedly a, a very low Delta option there as well. I'm curious if we see split ballot voting. I saw a couple of stories on that. So split ballot voting where you're voting for uh, the Democrat for the House seat, but you go for the Republican, the Senate seat, or actually I think the more common uh, permutation was voting for the uh, Republican for the House seat and the Democrat for uh, the Senate race. And could this be some kind of referendum on uh, Trump? Because there are some candidates that are very easily to distinguish as being uh, pro-Trump and and, uh, election outcome deniers from the 2020 presidential election. If you see that clear signal, I think it's very interesting for the political future of Trump. I uh, honestly have zero belief that he will ever be president again. Uh, and that's not to be anti-Trump. I just think they're even within the uh, uh, the populist right in the U.S., there's less uh, willingness to go with an actual Trump vote, even though he may be considered somebody that helps bring along a, a point of view. So, uh, yeah, those are the things I'll be looking for. The, the election uh, results start rolling in around midnight if you're sitting here in Europe uh, and uh, throughout the early mornings should have a pretty clear picture by one, two, uh, two o'clock to three o'clock in the morning here. Of course, far earlier if you're sitting in the States. Uh, but um, yeah, watch that one. And then it's all about the Thursday CPI. And again, whether this, uh, if there's a significant surprise, I think the big irony would be we get a soft print. Uh, Fed expectations don't really shift much, but but risk doesn't really respond. It might be an indication that the correlation between equities and bonds is starting to loosen up a bit. That's not a call. It's just I'm, I'm curious to see the nature of the reaction to that data point. That is the big one uh, for the week. All right, that's a wrap for today. Stay careful out there, and we'll be back tomorrow with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>